Welcome to the Supergirl Supercast, part of the TV podcast on the Incomparable Network. Today, we're talking about the massive crossover event, Crisis on Earth X. It's a sort of mini-series spanning all four DC shows, Supergirl, Arrow, The Flash, and Legends of Tomorrow. And in true crossover fashion, we recommend you make sure to have seen the whole crossover and listen to the already posted episode of TV, where the guys with the Speedy Arrowcast cover the episode, or the whole series. I'm hosting today. I'm Michael Gabriel, and with me are some fellow panelists. I'm Trisha M. I'm Jess Vieter. I'm Brianna Toiber. And I'm David Schaub. Here's the recap. A-plot. Nazis and If I Only Had a Heart. Nazis from Earth-X invade Earth-1. They want Supergirl's heart, remember, the one she's constantly saying she doesn't have, to save evil Kara. Kara is repeatedly captured, and Earth-1's reverse flash keeps trying to cut her open. But after many fights, between lots of people, on two Earths, the heroes win. Evil Oliver dies, evil Kara explodes, and evil Eobard is let go. B-plart. Whose wedding is this anyway? Iris and Barry try to get married, but it's window dressing for Oliver and Felicity's engagement woes. After an unfortunate outburst, Nazis, and many heart-to-hearts, Oliver and Felicity have a double elopement in the park with Barry and Iris. C-plot. Firestorm's retirement. Stein wants to leave the show, er, Firestorm, but Jefferson is sad to lose him. Stein saves the day with a brave, if silly, sacrifice. To save Jefferson's life, Stein separates, dies, and everyone is sad. D-plot. The best way to get over someone is to get under someone else. Alex hooks up with Sarah. (laughs) Alex ends up feeling that she made a mistake breaking up with Maggie, but decides that she was right to end it and moves on. E-plot. Earth's ex's Citizen Cold goes to Earth-1 and is glorious. There is a lot that happens in this crossover, um, <laughs> uh, as some of us were discussing beforehand. Uh, and there are so many moving parts that instead of trying to hit every single point, we're going to do kind of a brief top-level summary before uh, each episode, and then just whatever we feel like talking about per episode, we're going to hit uh, one by one. So uh, part one was, uh, it was Supergirl, so our actual show. And in this episode, the team gets together for Barry and Iris's wedding in various relationship states, and then the wedding is crashed by mystery Nazis. So uh, there's a lot that goes on here. Who uh, wants to start off with whatever their favorite part of the beginning is? Well, I'll start. I really liked how this set everything up. Uh, Almost all the characters who appear in the crossover are reintroduced here. I've watched them all, although I haven't been watching Arrow recently, although I did catch up with a couple of the latest speedy Arrow casts. But anyway, I didn't have have trouble keeping anybody apart, and I don't think that a person who was only watching one of the shows would have much trouble grasping what was on. Um, so I think they did a good job of all that. I really liked the opening on Earth X. Oh, and by the way, this is called Crisis on Earth X, not Earth One. So the crisis is centered on the Nazi world, which is a little weird, but oh well. Anyway, I liked the opening with all the, uh, Nazi symbology and the Zeppelins for the incomparable listeners. Uh, and I, I liked that, although we only got to see James X a little bit in this episode, uh, he had a heroic part where being guardian actually made sense in this world. And uh, so I liked that a lot. And then there's a lot else I liked about the episode, but I'll let someone else talk. Evil, evil Zeppelins. Oh, yes. Always evil Zeppelins. I mean, aren't (laughs) Zeppelins inherently evil? I I feel like I've internalized that at this point. That's just uh, Okay, it's just me. That's fine. Um, So uh, one thing, Trish, you did hit on was 
the fact that this crossover, I think it would be pretty easily followable by anybody, but who who of us watches the fewest of these shows? Because I watch all of them. I watch all of them, too. I only watch Supergirl, except I have watched the previous seasons of The Flash. So I might be the person out with the least amount of watching, which I don't think bothered me at all and didn't hurt me about Arrow. Legends? Eh, we'll see when we get farther into the episode. I, I may have some questions <laughs> there. Cool. Uh, how about you, Jess? I um I watch Supergirl and The Flash regularly. I have fallen behind on Arrow. I'm about a season and a half behind. Not quite a half. There's only been a few seasons so far, right? I mean, a few episodes so far. Anyhow. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I started to watch Legends, but gave up about six episodes in. Okay. So, I mean, all to be said, I think they did a pretty good job of resetting most of them to a point where it's not too hard to follow. Although, you're probably right, David, and that Legends has a lot of moving parts. But, uh, but yeah, I guess going back to this... And yeah, I mean, do we want to try and rein it into Supergirl specifically? Or, I mean, there's a lot that goes on here. One of the things I liked in the beginning is how they were going through all the people saying like, oh, did we RSVP? Did we RSVP? And with Car and Alex, at first they're like, no, that's, we, we just need to have time to sit and be sad. And then Car decided, no, no, we're going to get up. We're going to go and we're going to have fun and we're going to get out of the slump. Because that's definitely a conversation that would happen in that situation. I had one other question regarding the Supergirl part of the intro, which is, why do none of the aliens in Supergirl wear clothing? (laughs) The answer, of course, is CGI budget, but still. (laughs) How will you know they're an alien if they're wearing clothing? (laughs) Um, So anyways, Trish, you you pulled out uh, James, who is really, he's the first character we find from Supergirl, right? Because we see Mm -hmm. him dying on Earth-X, and... uh, uh, I really liked his outfit. I know the guys on the Arrowcast mentioned uh, that it was almost like a throwback to the original Captain America shield and stuff. Um, it was interesting that they you actually had the commentary, which will come up in themes later on in the crossover, but uh, the commentary about how, you know, that's a dead country. And uh, and he says, like, no, it still stands for something. Um, we don't see a lot about that later on in the, uh, in the crossover, but it was neat to have at least James playing that part because there wasn't much else he could do for us. And I suppose we can all be thankful that they were speaking English. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose it seems like even post the uh, World War II where the Americans lost, somehow the United States became the center of their new empire or something. So however that works. But uh, yeah, I mean, after all the intros and stuff, we get over to National City where we see Supergirl beating a Dominator. Uh, and I really enjoyed one of Kara's lines. It was like, a, these guys are so last year, which is, yes. you know, real funny. <laughs> Yeah, they had a real lot of really great throwaway one-liners throughout the whole crossover, a lot of fun references, um, and I felt that they enhanced my enjoyment rather than distracting me from the plot, because the plot itself is pretty basic, Uh, you know, evil Nazis and our superheroes fight them. So that, uh, I think, making it that basic and simple and black and white of a plot let us uh, enjoy all the other aspects, the relationship stuff and the funny moments and everything a little more than if we were trying to follow a really complex plot at the same time. Yes, definitely. And I think that was, I really enjoyed last year's crossover, but um, I do think uh, the plot was too complicated and it kind of, the plot itself became like, I don't remember the plot (laughs) of last year's crossover. (laughs) But I feel like this, you know, this year, like Nazis are evil is 
pretty memorable. Yeah, yeah pretty straightforward. I feel like it's easier to get it was easier to get emotionally invested in this crossover than the last one. Like this is by far my favorite crossover that they've done aside from the duet because that was just pure gold. So, speaking of crossovers, we haven't actually talked about people meeting up again uh, with each other, so let's get into the reunion with the uh, the wedding as the, you know, as the vector for that. So, uh, what are the favorite meetups that people had? Any that stuck out, stuck out to you? Sarah and Alex. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when I first saw them talking, I was like, oh my gosh, I'd never thought about like these two meeting, but it's so perfect. It really was. It was just so perfect. Who could possibly have been a better rebound relationship for Alex than Sarah? <laughs> right, and exactly. I think no matter what happens, they're going to be like the ultimate gal pals Mm -hmm. and just i i want them to stay in touch and be friends even if nothing happens romantically they're just they have so many similarities so uh yeah i mean and in this uh in the things sticking to our people when kara and barry get together of course like they just those two just have such great on-screen uh on-screen chemistry and for whatever reason i'm just always going to ship those two regardless of what's going on in their actual shows because they're great together but uh i really enjoyed their conversation where it was the whole you know barry asking kara what's going on and she's like well end of the world he's like well i faced that three times time travel (laughs) i've been there a lot and then he's married he's like i got nothing i've got nothing for that i'm sorry (laughs) he almost had something for that it almost felt odd that we were basically having Kara just repeatedly telling all these people yet again that she's alien, that she doesn't have to feel these things, that all of this. Like it's it's this mantra of what's going on this season is this continual repetition of this. And it almost at this point feels a little bit perhaps on the nose that everyone's now coming to get her heart. But, but that actually <laughs> yeah. ties in with something I think we're going to fall through. Um, some of us were talking about this earlier, but there are so many different relationship uh parts moving in this uh, in this crossover and there's a lot of just hitting Kara over the head with this, like no 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 you actually do have emotions and you know we'll see how that changes over the course of the crossover but uh, I think that this was a good setup for Barry being like well what do you mean like because she she even says to Barry uh, Kara says to Barry is like Barry is different for you guys you're human and he goes and you're what I mean other than alien is like I, he's not buying that either any more than we are you know I think she's just kind of trying to protect herself after all that she's been through. But with the way she's doing it, I could I could potentially see that going down a dark road if she starts shutting herself off emotionally. Well, I'm hoping that she will have seen a mirror of herself in Evil K in that... Uh, you know, she she's seen when you take it to the ultimate extent of what it means to shut off your emotions and try to live heartlessly, uh, you become an evil overlord. And so maybe that'll <laughs> give some indication of Kara that she needs to rethink this whole having human emotions is weak jag that she's been on. And again, going on with so. I guess, uh, I mean, I'll ask each of you, but so each of these shows, each of these episodes did tend actually correspond with a particular show. And I think for the most part, they seem pretty independent of the shows they're on, but you can see little bits and pieces. So um, there was a little bit more Kara and Alex, I think, focused on their discussions in this. But even uh, Joe's speech about Barry and Iris's wedding, if anything, the like he has the, his line, uh, love is the most important thing we have. I feel like that's more targeted towards 
almost more targeted towards uh, the Supergirl characters than anybody else. Because, like, if you're watching the other shows, people kind of already know that they've got love going on versus uh, Kara and Alex are the ones who are kind of moping right now. Yeah, Yeah, it's a lesson that they've already learned on The Flash. They had to learn on The Flash. And it seems like same with Arrow. And now it's Kara's turn. Right, exactly. Um, so, I mean, we, we know they all get t- together, but moving along, we've got kind of, you know, next morning and then, of course, the wedding. So, uh, yeah, thoughts on just everything after when everybody initially meets. Well, I just loved the humor of all the morning after come flashing from every pairings morning after and how they were happy or not happy or super mortally embarrassed like Alex. <laughs> uh, I, I just loved that whole thing. It just felt so true to Alex's character. That whole awkward mm-hmm. scene. It was great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, all three of them, Sarah and Kara as well, just like Kara being totally delighted. Uh, <laughs> yes. Sarah being totally blasé. <laughs> yeah, just perfect. That whole bit is just perfect front to back. I, I do have one question about it, though. Why is this the first time we've acknowledged the fact that Kara flies in her sleep? Uh, I think we saw it one time in the show earlier in maybe the first season, I think, but only once. I feel like yeah. we may have seen it in, in a very brief, you know, one second scene or something like that. It, I don't think it was ever a plot point. I don't yeah. remember that, but all I know is I want to see, like, in a flashback, Alice, Alex's reaction to the first time she saw that happening. Because that would be really funny. Also in that scene before the wedding, I really like how Kara's supportive of Alex in this. I mean, she's painfully amused by Alex, but she also is trying to be supportive and trying to help Alex realize that, no, she is not a horrible, terrible guy. (laughs) Well, she's sort of really just gleeful at at the beginning, but then when she sees that Alex is distressed about it, she pretty much switched right over to empathetic and uh, trying to help her talk it through. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about this crossover, especially when it comes to our characters, is just how much support Alex is given uh, and kind of moving on this because she's doubting herself and other people just keep telling her, like, no, 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 you you made the right decision. No, no, you're doing what's right for you. Uh, and I really appreciated that a lot. But uh, moving into this, so uh, we go into the wedding and of course we get Kara's non-superpowered ability because she sings amazingly. And, uh, and I think we probably meet somebody who's probably a descendant, if not a direct daughter of Barry and Iris because she is awfully flustered by Barry uh, on this wedding day. I think they discussed that in the Eurocast episode. Yeah, they did. They did. Uh, it feels pretty straightforward. I think like she's got to be from the future or something. But then, you know, we go through normal normal motions on the wedding and then it gets broken up. And uh, I think we have, uh, you know, the guys on the Eurocast said this. And I think I agree that this is probably the best fight scene of the entire crossover. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, there's a lot going on. Yeah, uh, it's just so well orchestrated and choreographed and... You're never confused about what's happening. Well, maybe a little bit. Um, I was actually didn't. It took me a while to, a while to figure out who Wally was because I hadn't seen him. Uh, mm-hmm. bef- I don't know if I he, he didn't. I think he's got new hair, so I'm a little confused. <laughs> that confused yeah, me too, I, and I watched the show. Yeah. So. I think he straightened his hair for the wedding or something because that <laughs> threw me off as well. I was just like, wait, oh, oh, that's Wally. Uh, but aside from that, I thought that the whole thing was just beautifully shot and choreographed, and all of you could see all of the characters, and they were all matched up perfectly. And uh, and in particular, I just you know 
Sarah and Alex teaming up and like ripping their dresses simultaneously (laughs) and then just tag team kicking ass was awesome. Yes. Yes, it was. It was awesome and well choreographed. I just always had this feeling that I just couldn't cope with not any of the guests getting killed. I almost would go so far as to say I don't understand why Overgirl didn't just drop the entire building down on all of them because she could have pulled Kara out of the rubble, out of the rubble. So it, it just seemed a bit odd in that regard. That it, like a lot of crossovers, it has the problem of there are different people and different powers, and some of them are so much more powerful than the others. But there's a need to give everyone a hero moment and being able to have everyone have some place where they can do really well. And it, it has this effect where the fights to me often didn't make a lot of sense because Flash and Supergirl and their counterparts are just so much more powerful than everyone else around. Man, I have so many notes on power imbalances for, for this crossover. <laughs> uh, it's a little silly. Um, I'd really chalk most of this up to incompetence because as we discover at the very end of the episode, they weren't supposed to attack the wedding in the first place. So they're, uh, they're just being impulsive, I guess, and not thinking things through. Yeah, something that has that bothered me throughout all four episodes, but probably most in the last two, was uh, there were so many times when if if the evil character wanted to get to their objective all they had to do was kill the person and then but they never did uh because all they needed was Kara so there's no reason to keep like Iris and Felicity alive for instance but they continuously did and i it just it, logic points like that don't usually bother me so, but there were just so many of them in this series that i started to it started to really irk me. Yeah, there's a lot of evil bad guy syndrome in these four parts. Yeah, most definitely. There are a lot of logical holes in it, so I just started to be like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm just going to accept the emotional beats and kind of let the other stuff gloss out, like just pass over me because I wouldn't be able to handle it otherwise. Yeah, sometimes the superhero shows you just have to stop questioning the logic. Because if you do, you will soon start to not like that show. <laughs> what got me showed it, started on all the DC shows was Legends of Tomorrow, actually. I watched that up to the Dominator crossover, and then I went back and watched everything else. <laughs> Which, that was quite a trip. But um, sometimes in Legends of Tomorrow, they're like, oh no, we might not have enough time to get there. And I'm like, you have a time ship. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm still not really sure how the linear movement, because they're... You know, multiple people are like, oh, the thing's tomorrow, but we already know that Earth 1 and Earth, uh, what is it, like 38 is Kara's Earth? Uh, the super- I think so. It's like we, we know that they don't actually line up time-wise properly. Like we've said, they've said before that time works differently when you're crossing Earths and stuff. So I'm not really sure how, how they lined up that tomorrow was the day for everybody for the, for the wedding. But, you know, it's how it works, I guess. Uh, yeah, so... Anyways, this episode ends and, you know, we have this fight, the two teams uh, disappear and then, you know, we don't really, our team doesn't really know what's going on. They have no idea why Nazis are around. Um, And we're all reminded that Kara is way more powerful than everyone else. So anything else on part one before we move into part two? Because we have a lot more to cover. Just tonally, I felt like that Supergirl was this perfect episode to start this whole crossover with because there was so much uh, light, funny, 
fluffy stuff and so much relationship stuff starting it off. You know, I know there's relationship stuff on some of the other shows, but Supergirl really goes heavy on that sometimes. Um, but at the same time, it was a very joy. Almost all of the episode, except for the beginning and the end, was full of joy and fun and character-driven relationship interaction. And so I thought that was perfect. And then the next episode, which was nominally Arrow, uh, was very grim dark. <laughs> so I thought that worked pretty well, too. Uh, David, you had thoughts, too, right? Yeah, I'd just like to give a call out to, as someone who hasn't seen Flash this season, how amazingly better Caitlin seems to be treated in this season. Yeah, uh, it's it's hit and miss. like in general, she is way better. But at the same time, they still have that weird thing that they're stuck with with her turning into Fro uh, Killer Frost whenever she uses her powers. It's a it's an odd thing. I with the Caitlin and Killer Frost thing, I think the reason she has better control over it is that she accept she's accepted it and she understands why it's happening, which could be sort of like a parallel to something of how I yeah, I. I'm just going to throw an idea out there. It might be ridiculous, but I found with depression sometimes, because I've had issues with that in the past, but I, got, I went to get counseling to, fig to sort of figure out what caused it, well, what caused that thought process. And once I knew why, I found that when you know why something happens, you can handle it better when it does. So that might be similar to what's happening with Caitlyn and Kill Caitlyn versus Killer Frost. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, to me, it seems sort of like they're treating it like a sort of alter personality for the being that inhabits Caitlin's body or Killer Frost's body. Um, that, you know, instead of just trying to completely eradicate Killer Frost, Caitlin still wants to be in the driver's seat most of the time, but she's not totally trying to pretend that she can just take a pill and get rid of Killer Frost forever or something like that. Yeah, they definitely seem to be like accepting each other. Uh, I love Killer Frost's uh, reaction to basically anything that she finds herself wearing when Caitlin has been in the driver's seat is always like dripping with disdain. But <laughs> but they seem to. But like, they did have a moment where Caitlin wore an unusual outfit for her with like leather and and stuff and someone asked her about it and she specifically said you know i think killer frost might be showing up and i think she'd like this kind of outfit better so they do they do seem to have some more give and take with each other now than just being at war yeah definitely. she's finally figured out how to get along with her roommate <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean we'll uh l let's move on to part two but in it we're definitely going to have more conversation about how how well i think the ladies of all the series are treated in this crossover, I think. So uh, on to part two. Everybody cool with that? Yep. Cool. Yep. All right. So uh, part two is uh, the team learns about EarthX and they discover who their evil counterparts are and then they lose a bunch and most of them are captured. So uh, yeah, we start with a bunch of revelations, but really I think things really kick off when um, they go to face their, uh, their alter egos the first time and fight them to stop them from stealing that red whatever it is that... They have no idea. They think they're going to make a bomb with it, right? Yeah, but yeah. I think it's actually part of the red sun generator thingy that they use eventually to weaken Kara. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. It's always nice when there's all this technobabble sciencing up and they're entirely wrong. So, <laughs> though I do like that this scene does give us one 
moment of Alex being sciencing up and examining the uh, blood, which is not something we usually get to see from Alex. Yeah, I definitely have a note that says Alex gets to use her science expertise and I have four exclamation points out after it because <laughs> I was very excited. What One of my notes that I had is because when they were sort of doing the round drop in conversation about Earth X is how was Kara the one that knows exactly how many Earths there are? Because I'm pretty sure she's the one that says there's 52. So how did she know that? I think that came up in their previous crossover, like the first crossover when they were all talking. They were figuring out how many there were, and she was introduced to the concept then. I don't remember much about that crossover. There's a bunch that comes into that. So, for example, um, one of my favorite things about this that I think sticks out to everybody is that Oliver has a kryptonite arrow. Where did that kryptonite come from? Because as far (laughs) as I'm aware, Earth-1 doesn't have kryptonite, right? Yeah, because... Oh, the only reason an Earther would get kryptonite is if the krypton in that universe exploded, which I don't think it did. I think it's certainly so, possible that krypton could explode without Supergirl or Superman showing up. So we, we can always guess that that is the case. Okay. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> but but it was just, a, it definitely stuck out to me and I was looking for an explanation afterwards and I didn't find one. So, But other than that, yeah, I, I mean, when they face their, when they are surprised and, you know, we definitely weren't when we saw the reveals, but they're surprised by who they're their opponents are. Uh, that's pretty fun. Uh, and I think probably most of us reacted the same way when uh, he finds out that Kara, or when Kara finds out that their counterparts on the other Earth are married, and she goes like, his wife? Gross. No offense. <laughs> I lo- loved that. Because can any of us see Kara and Oliver together? I sure can't. Oh, no. No. They... I mean, I can see them getting to a point where they're, like, on a friendly level, but no. Just... <laughs> Definitely no. <laughs> and then I guess we also learn that uh, apparently Oliver is a uh, structural engineer in his free time because, you know, he knows how to save a building that's falling and so on. And he stores cabling somewhere. I don't know. I don't understand why they did that scene at all. My, my, my note is in all caps for that one. Like they could have just gotten the people out of the building and let the building fall down. Why do they care? It was yeah. a bizarre bit of bad CGI and it just wasted some time. I don't understand. Wait, so he w- he was doing the sort of Spider-Man thing to hold up the building? I just thought he was trying to get down. I was like, Oliver, there's got to be an easier way. <laughs> no, no, he's using the steel cables to like hold the beams together somehow. It's a very weird, weird thing. I think that's the only way they could get him involved, because if it was just to save the people, Oliver would be useless, right? Just like uh, he was super slow arriving in the first place. Yeah, yeah. although that was hilarious. <laughs> that scene was really funny. I also I also really enjoyed how every single time Kara lands, she destroys property because she <laughs> yeah. just like, I'm like, what did the parking lot do to you? <laughs> like, hover slowly to the ground. <laughs> Some of these people, I hope their car insurance covers getting slammed into by a superhero. I feel like that's true in DC and Marvel universes at this point is they have to have superhero insurance, right? Like, that's got to be a thing. Yeah. I feel bad for insurance companies. Almost. Well, in those universes, at least. With this second fight, I think we also got a nice additional amount of uh, Kara's acting as the evil Kara, and I really, really did quite like that. But the strange part was, when I was seeing her act it, she was kind of just coming off as extra Kryptonian, which really means mm-hmm. these shows have biased me on what I think Kryptonians are like, <laughs> because that's kind of what I think Kryptonians are like. 
Yeah, same. I, I really did. I thought the same thing. I was like, you know, if you think that Kryptonians are like that, then it kind of turns that if she had grown, if she had landed even as a teenager in the fatherland, it would be really easy to get her be- to behave this way, I feel like, because it seems like Kryptonians are predisposed to that. Yeah, this is one of my very, very few quibbles. Um, I just would have liked to see her be a little, uh, you know, Supergirl versus evil Supergirl or Overgirl, I think they call her. Um, I would have liked to have seen her look different and she does act different, but maybe even take it into even more of a dramatic, dramatically different place. Uh, I don't know. I just would have liked to have seen her with like a severe bob or something like that, just to play up the di- their differences. I could have definitely appreciated a different hairstyle for sure. Mm-hmm. I thought she did a good thing with body language you know like her her shoulders looked more arrogant she she strode instead of walking around um i i thought th- th- i thought she sold the difference pretty well um, the the actress yeah yeah no I, I don't think it's an acting thing i think it's a a directing thing where you know they could have just taken it a little further but um i think she did a fantastic job yeah i'm, I'm just always delighted when she's on screen yeah, in, in some scenes, it looked kind of like she might have had a darker color lipstick on, but that might have just been me. No, I, I read the same thing on there, so I think you're right. Yeah, yeah I think paler skin, redder lips, her suit was slightly darker blue, and it all and she just kind of popped a little more. Yeah. So, uh, so another quick uh, couple of things towards the end of this is I don't understand why the Planet Xers have a Metallo, like... <laughs> Why would they keep them a lo- around if they have a Kara? Like, I-, I feel like the the Kryptonite would be kind of too much of a threat to keep them around. I feel like I don't know. The evil Kara seems to be barely affected by Kryptonite at all. Like, I'm still trying to understand why Oliver didn't just kill her at that point in time when he's shooting her with a Kryptonite arrow. But yeah, it did seem odd to have Metello used this way, and it just complicated matters. Yeah, uh, and then- I I had that note too, and I'm like. The only explanation I could think of that makes any bit of sense is maybe she created him to, for taking out Arakara, but I feel like that would just be overly complicated, and she would probably expect Arakara to have about the same amount of resistance to kryptonite that she apparently seems to have. Yeah, I, I don't really know. I also don't understand why they have like what the dampen the power dampening collar is supposed to do with Kara because like if it successfully works then does she really need the red sun machine and if it doesn't work then why wouldn't she have been able to break out like immediately when she woke up I'm not really sure how these things work but um, don't think about yeah. the power dampening collars too much it, it <laughs> <Yeah>. really <laughs> they they work a lot better as shock collars uh so this episode, though, it was mostly, like, I think the two big fights setting things up for the latter half, right? Like, I don't know that there's that much else going on in these two episodes. or in this. I just episode. want to point out that when, uh, when Felicity walks into Star Labs, someone asks her how she gets inside, and she says, I just walked in. You guys don't have any security or anything. What's up with that? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> they yeah. never have... Their, their security is absolutely ridiculous. One thing I noticed when, like, Kara first met her evil doppelganger, she said something about, now I feel what it's like to hate myself. Has she really never hated herself before? Does she just not realize that she kind of... I, I feel like it was just a service level quip. There's a few of those in this show that, like, I they, especially when we get later to uh, to Citizen Cold and some of his things that don't really make sense if you look too 
too closely at the funny line. Uh, I, I don't know that it's supposed to mean much more than that. Like, I, yeah, I just feel like that there have definitely been moments before where Car, like, Car has definitely wished that she was different than the way she is. Mm-hmm. Just maybe uh, she doesn't fully realize that. Yeah. So, part three, uh, some of our heroes, they wake up in a prison camp on Earth-X, while others wake up in Star Labs, now under Nazi control, uh, and they begin counterattacks to almost but not quite escape from their respective prisons. So, uh, yeah, Nazi per- Earth-X prison camp. Fun place. Why are they alive? I don't understand why they're alive <laughs> still. Why were they taken it's, to Earth-X to kill them there? I don't understand. It's it's the typical villain here. I'm proving that I'm better than you by keeping you alive for longer than necessary. And then later it's, oh crap, keeping them alive was actually, might have been a bad idea. I mean, there also goes, if they wanted Kara, they could have gone to Earth-1 at a different time when she wasn't in the same place as everybody else and just fought her. So, or excuse Earth- me, Earth-38. So Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot... As all of us, I think, have said at this point, the the bad guys really just don't know what they're doing. But that's okay. It's more fun for us. (laughs) Maybe they're just not used to having to fight people. That's true. They've been in control there a long time, it seems like. So maybe, yeah, maybe they had an original thought of bringing them back for show trials or something. Um, we, We could figure out some alternate explanations, but... Let's just move on. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought that all of the concentration camp imagery, uh, including the Auschwitz sign, um, was very, hmm. Um, it didn't, I, I, I don't want to say that I liked it, <laughs> but uh, it definitely spooked me uh, in a way that I was like very effective. I found it very effective uh, and creepy, uh, particularly the, um, bit where they get uh, where the firing squad thing happens. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that really like just hit me in the gut. I was impressed, yeah. impressed with them for going there. I guess for sure, very affecting the whole thing. Like I, I was uncomfortable both times I watched it. Yeah, it the way they did it kind of reminded me of at one point they actually referenced the show, but it's the man in the high castle, mm-hmm. which is off of a similar premise of what happened to the United States didn't win yeah and i i love how they reference that because i love that show yeah it's nazis winning in world war ii is one of the most popular alternative history uh timelines so i mean not popular but (laughs) not we all want it but a lot of people write about it because it would be such a dramatic turning point in the history of the world. Um, So there have been many, many different books and stories about it. So, you know, I thought it was fine. It it is unfortunately very topical at the moment, but uh, I hope it's just for the moment and not for the rest of our lives. But uh, I thought it was a, a perfectly valid thing for them to use as their springboard for this crossover. And I think it was right that it made a lot of us feel uncomfortable to see Arbeit Mach Fry on top of the gates of the prison camp and other, you know, really, really strong imagery like that. I didn't feel like it was exploitative. I, I think that it was pointing out that, you know, certain philosophies have really terrible endpoints and we should be aware of that. And yeah. the other thing 
when they had all of our heroes lined up and were about to just shoot them, Alex's first thought was she was apologized at loud Ly- Ly- to Kara for not being able to save her. It's like that was her biggest regret up to that point of her whole life is that she wouldn't be able to save her sister. Uh, I just I found that touching. Yes. Initially, I was a bit disturbed that they had Jax have to ask the question regarding the pink triangle, but I suppose maybe we are in a world where that needs to be taught to the audience, which I suppose mm-hmm. is also kind of scary. Uh, right. I mean, I think that's true. I, I mean, yeah, it again, definitely felt um, exposition but yeah, but I mean, as uh, Trish said, like, unfortunately, this is topical. Yeah, and that sort of led into the conversation between Sarah and her. Um, the alternate version of her father, which it broke my heart to see that. And I can just imagine her first thing that she did upon getting back was to go home and see her actual dad and just give him a hug or something. Because even though that wasn't her dad, that must have still been really painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but it does introduce us to one of the greatest character introductions that we weren't expecting. Uh, yes. and, <laughs> uh, so uh, we see Leo, we meet Leo for, I guess, the first time, technically. Uh, and it's pretty uh, exciting. Oh, yes. Not gonna lie, when that happened, my roommate was walking through the door and I just, I made the noise that came out of me sounded kind of like a pterodactyl. Because <laughs> I was just, I was really excited. Snort was one of my favorite characters in Legends. And I was sad he died. And I was just like, oh my gosh, he's back. Yeah, I think I just went, yeah, really loudly and pounded, pounded my fist with my knee. But <laughs> it was definitely a fun, exciting way to bring Citizen Snart onto the onto the show. Yeah, I really loved uh the the fact that they had a relationship between the Ray or Ray whatever the Ray to <laughs> differentiate him from Ray Palmer. Anyway, I loved that they had the relationship between him and Snart and I loved how lovingly it was depicted. It was it felt so warm and uh, I loved everything about it except that, uh, except the end of the relationship, when uh, Snart said he was saying, and Ray just kind of shrugged and said okay, and went back to Earth X. <laughs> that felt yeah. really weak and unconvincing to me. I mean, I think he mentioned meant that as a stay for now, which we will. There will be plenty that of time towards the end where we talk about everybody's kind of final state with where they're staying and where they're going to, but. uh yeah, but I, I, I'm with you. It's a little bit weird. I loved how that relationship was depicted, how just genuine they both seemed, um, mm-hmm. probably because both actors are, are um, queer. I don't know if they're gay or what, but, you know, they're both out gay actors. So it, it makes sense that that would just feel natural and just so charming. I just loved every every part of it. Um, and I... I know that uh, I I know that he was in another show that I haven't seen um, about like werewolves or something. Uh, but that actor is Alonso from Doctor Who, uh, the race, yes. and uh, and so oh, I just keep um, thinking being of, human is the other show, the yeah. British version, not the sci-fi version. Right. Yeah, that's the one. I just keep calling awesome. him Alonso in my head because because <laughs> because 
Yeah, Alonzi Alonzo and him ending up with Captain Jack Harkness. Yep. I did not connect that until right now. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> You're welcome. I've, I, I'm a huge nerd if y'all haven't realized this by now. You are amongst uh, your peers, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so we also have some more discussion. We actually have Kara interacting with herself, um, which is pretty fun, uh, right? Like a lot of conversation. I think she's probably the one who interacts the most with her doppelganger. I think the guys on the Aerocast call that out, and um, so... There's quite a bit. Uh, they even have a little thing where Kara X says, like, you're looking more human. And then Kara's the one going, we're not different from them. So this is her finally, like, going through that process of being like, oh, we're not actually that different from humans. Which is, you know, taken her a little bit too long to come around to. But it's good to see her starting to do that. And she's starting to admit that being human isn't a bad thing, which she's struggled with that this past season. And I saw this conversation between... The, ca- the Kara who elevates herself above everyone else and the Kara who elevates others. I was a little bothered, though, by by this dialogue and some of the other evil talks because it seemed to me like most of the time the evil ones got a little better lines or a little more dramatic lines. Uh, like And, and the... Uh, our heroes basically just said, no, you're wrong. You're supposed to care for other people. And it, it fell flat. It's, I mean, I, I agree with our heroes, but they, it seemed like the, um, it seemed like the script writers did a better job with the evil dialogue than the good dialogue. Well, they really needed evil car to give us the line. Why do you care if I take your heart? You're not using it. It was a great line. It <laughs> was a, a fantastic line. line. That line is the most important line in all four episodes. I just wish that some of our people would have had good lines. <laughs> yeah. Also, another thing I f- I found weird is the fact that before Kara had gotten super weak, she didn't really fight back. She she just kind of went with it. And even when she had a chance to escape, she just turned herself back in. I found it odd that she was just so willing to just completely give herself up. It could be that she trusts her friends to come and rescue her, but she doesn't make an attempt to save herself, which makes me wonder, like, how exactly does she see herself? Uh, I think the idea was that the red uh, sun generator thing had already weakened her enough where she didn't have the strength to fight. It just hadn't weakened her enough for them to, like, do surgery on her yet. It does feel, though, that both Kara's, the good and evil, got sidelined for a middle chunk of the storyline. Yeah, I I felt that when I was watching through, I felt like there, that, yeah, Kara got sidelined, even though she was, both Kara's got a bit sidelined, even though they were the main people in the fight, in the crossover. They were one of the main focuses. I think that's true, but I think part of that is because they had to introduce us to one of the other significant uh, Supergirl characters, General Shot. So, which is a pretty interesting way to find Win, but they like did a lot of time. They spent a lot of time in the base, right? And I think that since Car is not physically there, you give us Win instead, and he is very angry. Though I'd say that all of the stuff with General Shot is probably the most boring aspect of all of the show from uh, my perspective. It sort of doesn't feel to accomplish very much, and I just was waiting for it to be over. Why is he like that? Is my question because. He's so different from our wind. So what happened to make him like that? Generations of horrible war. 
Well, yeah. I mean, I think I could have uh, bought an evil win more easily. I mean, his dad on on Earth Prime, or sorry, Earth 38, was the Toy Master, or, or whatever the name was. But anyway, a supervillain. Uh, did he just turn good in Earth X because he had an evil government to fight against instead of a good government to <laughs> get around um, and then raised his son that way? I, I don't know. It's, it's uh, General Shot seemed strong but not convincing. He was tense but not someone who looked like a great leader that people would flock to. Maybe he's just a really good planner but I, I don't know. It I liked seeing him. I was glad, oh, yay, here we have Wynn in the crossover. But uh, I, it didn't. Qu and then he said, no, absolutely not. I'm, I'm not going. I'm going to blow this gateway up. And then we hear that that uh, Snart convinced him in an off-screen conversation to do an about face and let the let our people go back through again. It just it 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 felt uh, lazy. <laughs> And yep. then he changed his mind again to reemphasize that he's kind of a jerk. Yeah. Why is this guy the general? <laughs> also, the rebels were the one that built the time portal to begin with. So they had put in this huge amount of resources for building this thing. And then all they can do is get rid of it. And we never found out why they wanted to build it in the first place. No, they yeah. did. They wanted to take it the the ship through so that they could... Uh, so that they could attack the alternate Earths. And then they're, the reason they were limited on time is because Overgirl is going to die soon. So, like, that, no, no, that no. lines up. That's why the Nazis were doing it. The rebels built the time portal. They did? Yeah, they did. Because the thing in the, beginning of, in the beginning of the first episode, the thing that the scientist is talking about, how he built and it was going to bring hope to a dark world, oh. it was the portal. Oh, okay. I yeah. imagine maybe they were going to ask for help or something. Mm, yeah. But uh, but it does it does make me think though like why so they were clearly trying to depict a win who is a or a, a general shot who is ruthless because he has to be because they've been losing this war for generations and he has to be they just didn't do a good job of selling it. So like for instance they didn't give us a reason why he wanted this attack to happen right now. Like, why didn't it happen two hours ago if he ha if it has to happen right now? Like, like they didn't give us a reason for his immediate timeline um, and why he would only give them one hour to for this plan now that he's decided they're not going to do it. It's not like, I, I mean, they already knew that their people were off planet. I Presumably, they already knew rather than just discovering it right now. Um, well, or maybe they didn't. Maybe I just talked myself into an explanation. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I could I could have bought the moving up the timeline a lot easier if he had said, we found out we have a mole and we have to move super quick or else they're going to crush us. You know, one line would have been all it took to explain that bit of it. But it really seemed like he just arbitrarily decided to move up the timeline. Yeah, and... Something I wondered is they had the red tor it's red tornado is the name of the robot, right? I'm remembering that correctly. Yeah, that's right? that's him, yeah. Why didn't they use it to take out Overgirl? Presumably they didn't think he'd be able to, right? Like he was more he was better as like a one off mission kind of thing. I just, I feel like that they could have used it before then to help even the odds a bit, because I'm pretty sure if you take out Overgirl, the fear is gonna be a bit Actually, no. Based off the Führer's reaction, he probably would just destroy everything. So, never mind. Ignore that. Well, luckily, the Red Tornado was destroyed because our heroes destroyed the rebels against the Nazis' best weapon. Oh well. 
a lot Oops. of the last one third of the third part, just nothing anyone did actually made a lot of sense to me. <laughs> In this, I guess we also have uh, some uh, interaction between reverse, reverse Flash with Supergirl, since obviously he's preparing to do the surgery. And uh, we do see a, a mention of Superman, um, which is interesting. Like, so he apparently fights Superman at some point earlier in his personal timeline. But does that mean he's been crossing Earths a lot in his personal timeline before? Because, you know, since his Earth, Earth-1 doesn't have a Superman, like, that's, again, very confused about about that. Uh, lots of things about this reverse Flash are confusing, though. Uh, yeah, another agree. thing I noticed is you see in Legends of Tomorrow that Eobard Thawne, well, minor spoiler, it's actually one of his time remnants that was somehow still alive. But he can rip someone's heart out of their chest using his little phase thingy. So I feel like there there would have been an easier way than doing a surgery. I mean, maybe it has to be really, really fine because he's actually going to use the heart for somebody else at this point. Yeah. I mean, so in this, anyways, like, this is one of the weird things. This episode has like pretty much no divide going from part three to part four because we pick up exactly where we left off in battle and and in both locations, actually. So we could probably carry this straight into part four and then really bring the whole thing, uh, start talking about, like, everything at that point. Sounds good. Sure. Just for the end of part three, we need to uh, mention that um, at some point after the colors were off and they, and they got their powers back, when they were, Firestorm had united into, Stein and Jefferson had united into Firestorm, but then when they're at the uh, Time Portal facility, they split up so that they can multitask and Stein gets shot. I think that is where the episode ended. Yeah, that's right. They give you about, like, you know, one commercial break to think Stein is dead right now, I think. Right. So, yeah. And then he's not. He's just very badly wounded and they have to get him to the wave rider to save him. So they cool. think. But yep. then they realize he can't be saved and you can just hear the sound of my heart breaking from halfway across the country. I was... Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that takes us into part four, which really is the simplest one to summarize. Uh, you know, everybody escapes, uh, they reunite as a massive team, and they punch Nazis together until they win. It's usually a good sound strategy is hit it till it <laughs> stops moving like they would did with Metallo. They just beat the crap out of it till it exploded. And just think that Metallo can be beaten by Supergirl alone. So again, like the, the power balancing thing is a weird... Weird thing in this series. Yeah, just a yeah. little. Yeah, and also Thawne is a real sadist and apparently runs oh, everything. We knew that. <laughs> thing, something, all right, so I know that I don't watch Legends. I mean, I, I have seen some episodes of Legends, but I don't watch it regularly. But I I don't know. I just never liked Firestorm that much. <laughs> I, um, I like all, you know, the individual actors just fine, but I always feel like in my experience with them, that it's always like tedious. I find I just find that whole situation tedious, <laughs> and so I just was not really moved by um, Stein dying. I mean, I was moved by him dying, but um, not as much as other other people clearly were. They in Legends of Tomorrow they put a lot of work into sort of developing their the partnership between the two, and there was a long thing for about for several episodes for most of the season so far where, like, after Stein's grandchild was born, um, that's when Jax, Jefferson, everyone calls him Jax, 
started trying to see if they could find a way to separate them so he could stay with the legends and then Stein could go spend time with his family. Yeah, I yeah. gathered most of that. I just, um, I guess, well, one, I, it's not that I didn't care. It's that I feel like they dedicated a lot of time to that storyline. They definitely gave a lot of beats to the Firestorm divorce yeah. line. I, I actually quite liked it. It was probably one of my favorite plots of the section, just because maybe it was fairly simple. It was a fairly strong emotional beat. They They dealt with it reasonably well. I mean, the whole getting shot bit was weak. But the rest of it, I actually quite liked. Yeah, and I really liked the uh, funeral scene. Um, I thought the actor who plays Jax was very moving. I, you know, I thought their final interaction was very moving. It's just that I felt like there was too much back and forth leading up to those parts. Uh, and just going with what what you're saying, though, like if I had quit the show uh, when you did, where I was probably about as annoyed as you were when you quit, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I probably wouldn't have been particularly emotionally invested either um yeah. i just do think that they, they put a lot of work in to make to turn me around okay. um, and clearly you're not getting the benefit of that so yeah um so yeah yeah i think for someone who does watch legends with me with all the back and forth that we've had between stein and jefferson or jackson to um do we want to be a hero do we want to retire each of us to our own ideal lives um there's been a lot of dialogue on the show about you know their relationship and if in the crossover things had been things had happened really quickly and there hadn't been those dying speeches and everything it would have felt like a cheat um it would have felt like a really bad way to end the relationship if they hadn't spent the time on it that they did now does that make it appropriate for all this to have happened in the crossover maybe not because it it you know some people might have felt people who who haven't been watching legends uh, had a fair reason for thinking it was kind of didn't belong there. But um, for a legend watcher, I, I was, you know, I thought it felt about right, but I can see how other people would feel like it was overdone. It definitely felt like it went along longer the second time through when I was watching <laughs> it. Yeah, I agree. So the second time watching it, I was just... Because I already knew it was going to happen, so it didn't have the sort of emotional impact that it did before, but it was still, like, it was really sad, and it has me concerned about what's going to happen with Jax on the Wave Rider now. Uh, in the end, I mean, it feels like they wanted there to be some consequences and some loss over the course of the crossover, and if you're going to lose somebody, you know, Dr. Stein is probably the one to lose, because you already have so much <laughs> so much setting up for it, uh, but... But it is a lot of time spent in this whole crossover for it. But beyond him, we have we do have other deaths in this. They're just, you know, not good guys <laughs> who die, which is good. <laughs> so, yeah, more uh, more fighting happens, right? A uh, whole lot. We get more people turned in. Uh, this is the Legends episode, which means the rest of the Legends come in. And I'm really not sure why the other Legends are traveling through time while their teammates were around. But, uh, you know, that's, this is a show and it's comic books. So... Uh, so yeah, uh, there's kind of all kinds of a mess. So let's talk about uh, other people coming to the rescue, I suppose. Just generally to cover that, I was watching the show and when they decided to send the SOS out, I was, I think I yelled at the screen saying, you're calling the SOS out now? Why in the world? <laughs> aren't like, I didn't know all these people were here. I hadn't been watching Legends. I didn't know there was a small army that was going to show up. Why in the world weren't they called earlier? Uh, and this is the point where I started to have a little difficulty keeping track of who's who. 
my, my thing is like, I'm going to send out an SOS to the legends. Will they get here in time? They have a time ship. They can literally travel through time. I think they'll make it. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ray goes real small, and because that's clearly the best way for him to save Supergirl from surgery. Uh, and it was a really entertaining little because I, I really had no idea what was going on for the first like second or two when uh, Thon couldn't cut into him uh, into her rather. Right. It was like has has Kara somehow regained her superness? Um. And, but but no, it was the Adam Ray Palmer saving her. <laughs> yeah. Ray is probably my favorite character on uh, Legends, although Sarah is also really great. But I have enjoyed him since he started, and he, he just continues to be fun. He's a really positive goofball, and I really feel like him and Barry and Kara together would just be a great little, like, fun, positive team-up uh, if you just kept the three of them reinforcing each other's positivity. <laughs> and they need things like that when uh, Ray gets taken down by a single arrow from Oliver X, right? As someone who doesn't watch Arrow very much, I don't understand why Oliver is so tough, but... But that's just me. That's on me. I know. It's because he went through five years of hell on that (laughs) island. (laughs) So that's another thing that really sticks out. Why does Oliver X know how to shoot arrows? Like, did he also go through five five years on an island? I don't... don't. Does Oliver just have a natural affinity for shooting arrows no matter what universe he's in? And he just... (laughs) He was like, I'm the Fuhrer. I'm going to learn to use whatever weapon I want. <laughs> I feel like our our Oliver only uses arrows as a symbol. Like I feel like that's established pretty early. That like no no I knew how to use guns. I feel like evil Oliver would just use guns all the time. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and it also doesn't let good Oliver even kind of possibly have a chance to beat him either. So yeah, our Ollie ain't bulletproof as we have seen before. Um, our Oliver though, uh, one thing in in our Oliver is he's kind of finally gotten this line between sometimes being willing to kill but not doing it all the time, which he just couldn't figure out for several seasons of uh, of Arrow. And in this <laughs> yep. one, he uses it to kind of, like, hold a sword over uh, evil Kara's head to, like, stop, you know, evil Oliver from doing whatever he's doing, which is like, yes, this makes sense. You should do this. Or even in the um, the final beats where he uh, he shoots evil Oliver, but only after... Oliver, evil Oliver, makes it clear that he's going to kill him. Like, he, he, you know, he gave him that split second of, of a chance, you know, to not be evil, and then killed him. <laughs> I think if you look at it a certain way, the way each of the main three handles their sort of doppelgangers is kind of symbolic. Barry lets Thon, the man who killed his mother and ruined most of his life, he lets him go, kind of symbolic of he's come to terms with his mother's death, finally. Um, Oliver kills it, kills the dark version of himself once he was certain that he wasn't going to turn. Is basically like sort of killing his inner monster. And Car- with Kara's, it's like what would happen if she just lets her power take over is... Yeah, well, that one's a little... I'm still figuring that one out. But you could argue that I just, it's, her, it's it's like each of them are first forced to fam- face their own fears. Maybe Barry can cope with him l- letting Eobard go. I can't cope with Barry letting Eobard go. <laughs> I cannot either. I love Barry, but he I is a big either. dummy. It was a terrible decision. Just capture the guy. Capture him. Keep him locked up in a cell. You have cells specially designed for just this thing. You don't have to kill him. 
just punch him in the forehead really hard and he'll be knocked out. <laughs> and then you can't give him to Argus and let them handle it. But again, I mean, anybody who's watching Flash knows that Barry still hasn't figured out how to be smart. And, you know, one day he will. <laughs> He he's he can think fast, but he can't think well. <laughs> so, I mean, we have, like, kind of, we hit on the, more or less, the ending of the fight, but there are a bunch of other things, like, there's some great funny lines in this. Um, when Overgirl dies, and she's exploding, and Supergirl has to carry the thing up, uh, is it uh, Wells goes, uh, you need to go up, up, and away. And I just, I was cracking up so hard at that. I just could not contain my laughter and my joy. Yeah, same. As someone who remembers playing star readers on the atari i also quite appreciated that reference yes that was great too um and then uh there's snart being hilarious because he's wonderful uh and he there's the point where uh rory is like burning people and starts like you can't do that have you ever heard of due process and rule of law um which is really funny but also america has presumably not been a thing for like a hundred years on his earth so i'm a little confused by that yeah <laughs> But but that that is true to Snart. Snart's usually not the shoot first type person. Well, I really enjoyed the point where um, someone was telling him, uh, you know, the the old Snart line of "Make a plan. The plan <laughs> yes. doesn't work. Throw the throw away the plan and do <laughs> something awesome. else." And our citizen Snart X says. That's terrible. That's that's crazy. Who would do that? You need to plan everything out th to the last detail. <laughs> because Snart always has everything planned out to the last detail, sometimes. <laughs> of course, Snart had a lot of great lines because he's just a great character. But I also just really enjoyed the one moment where he was admiring Flash's suit and asked him if he made it himself. <laughs> also, the fact that he kind of just starts flirting with Sarah and doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, his interactions with everyone, every single time he talked to anybody, it was just amazing, because he is amazing. As, He's uh, amazing. Yeah. As David yes. kind of pointed out all the way at the beginning <laughs> of this episode, like, he just, he's real good. Yeah. Um, which does, I, I guess, you know, if you think about the ways that all the different relationships and stuff wrap up, going back to uh, something that, Trish, you said, or, yeah, you said earlier, uh, where Cold, you know, him staying and the Ray leaving, it's just like, it's really weird, because he's so great with everybody, and it's like, why, why wouldn't they both stay together? I guess, I don't, I don't understand, especially because the Ray is from Earth One in the first place. Yeah, that made no sense. Yeah, I would have been happy if they had both stayed on Earth One, or if they had even given the Ray a line about, you know, no, I have to go back to Earth X and continue the fight. There are still a lot of Nazis left over there, you know, and they could have had some kind of sorrowful leave taking. But instead, you know, it's like, okay, catch you later. Bye. <laughs> it just made no sense given they're almost, you know, they, they felt like a married couple before and and this, you know, Snark can say he's only going to be over there for a while, but you don't know. This could be permanently goodbye. One could hope the writer's hands were tied and this has to do with other things coming forward and other acting contracts and who knows what else, but it didn't make any sense. Yeah, that it, it could have been handled better because given that you first meet Ray when he's in the prison camp, you have no idea how long he's been there. Right. So it's like, you know, 
they finally get reunited over who knows how long and spend a couple of days together, then starts like, well, you go home, I'm staying here, even though the Earth X is not Ray's home and Earth 1 is not um, starts. Well, the guys on the Aerocast did point out that, uh, and I didn't know this, that the the Ray apparently has an upcoming little animated short series coming up, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, I really, really liked the Vixen one. Um, I've liked it so far, so mm-hmm. so I will definitely watch the Ray one if if that's the case. Yeah, I've watched the animated Vixen two, and I liked it, and I will definitely be looking out for for the Ray one. Cool. So uh, that's one relationship. Uh, I guess we have Alex and Maggie. So, or excuse me, Alex accepting her relationship with Maggie, right? Or the the end there. Being over. Yes. Accepting that it's over. Right, right. right. And I guess in the end, uh, Kara kind of feels better about her heart, I guess. She she even has the line where she's talking to Alex is like, you know, uh, fighting our evil doppelgangers probably puts things into perspective. <laughs> yes, she did. One would hope. Yeah, and then we get a couple of marriages, one that's a surprise and uh, one that's not. Uh, And I would love to have Diggle officiate my wedding because he would get my middle name right. Uh, And that's great (laughs) because I I just don't know how he knows everybody's middle names, but (laughs) it's great. I also love that they're maintaining the running gag where when he always vomits when he runs with the flash. Which I, I don't know why I find that so funny, but I do. Because he's a hard military man and he can't handle, like, he, he can't handle the super speed, but everyone else seems fine with it. Well, and they especially nailed it this time because he even says that, like, he didn't get sick and then proceeds to get sick, right? And yeah. it's just great. Like, that extra beat <laughs> is wonderful. <laughs> but, you know, not cool, Felicity. Not cool. <laughs> You, you could just let them have their day. Also, technically, don't they have to have two witnesses there? Well, also, you know, Felicity and Oliver did not have any paperwork. They have not applied for a marriage license. This ma- marriage is invalid. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that this is very unbrand for Felicity, who has this like amazing tendency to say to say to put her foot in her mouth basically and say the exact wrong thing but she does it so adorably that everyone's like yeah okay that's fine (laughs) you know you're totally right because i was not offended by this even though i could tell it was completely wrong (laughs) (laughs) oh i love her character i i just you know i don't love this action of hers (laughs) iris and barry are very patient people they are. They're both very nice people, and they didn't seem to have any problem with this happening. So why am I having a problem with it? But I <laughs> Iris and Barry were probably be like, like, finally. They they really were probably relieved, and especially now that uh, Barry and Iris, now that Iris is somebody who ha- actually has agency in her show, yeah. uh, they're pretty much just both happy yeah. all the time. So that's great. I think they they should be, and just like let their bubbly happiness overflow to other people. And of course, doing it all at the same time means that there won't be a a wedding on Arrow to get disrupted and Again. people crash in and, and, and they don't have, all have to gather in the other city. And and so, you know, it, maybe it's working out for the best. I just, you know, just had to shake my head. I would like to point out, though, that Oliver didn't invite his son to his wedding. I'm just, you know. <laughs> Ooh. Hmm. Yeah, that. Well, that's... maybe he can invite them to the Justice of the Peace when they go and get their applications yeah. taken care of. I, I think <laughs> what was going through Felicity's head is like, let's do this now before everything goes wrong again. Oh, this is actually that a really good point. way for her to circumvent that problem, right? 
Yeah. Yep. Cool. Well, I mean, we've basically talked about the events. So does anybody have things they'd like to talk about that we just haven't, that we haven't touched upon? Favorite tidbits, overall themes, anything like that? How did the EarthX people get a Wave Rider time machine? I'm just thought that's something that bugs me. Does the time organization whose name I can't remember from season one of Legends? Wibbly wobbly timey wimey? Yeah, that's a great point. I have no idea how they got it. I can't think of anything. Comic books. Unless the Time Masters also exist in the Earth X universe, then there's not really an explanation for how they got a time trip unless they they stole it from one that did. And even if they did, why would the 21st century have gotten, like, control over it in that one, too, in that timeline as well? Maybe the Time Lord sent it back to change history and not have Earth X be taken over by Nazis, but... They they failed their mission, <laughs> and and the Nazis held on to it for a while until they could, you know, for a hundred years until they could figure out all the technology and stuff. I mean, unless the Earth X Rip Hunter tried to do that and then failed horribly, like he tends to do at stuff when he tries to do it by himself. What happened to Rip Hunter, by the way? Oh, he's still alive. Uh, okay, good. On Legends. Yeah. Yeah, he's 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 a jerk. He's, it's complicated. He's, yes. <laughs> All right, I'll watch it one of these days. It is substantially better than it was early on. That's true. And there are glorious one-liners like George Lucas has a spear of destiny. There's there's a lot of fun stuff in Legends. You don't want to think too hard about how it all works, but it's just fun to watch. I'm a fan of uh, time hijinks. Yeah, just know it is substantially better than that first season, um, and mm-hmm. consistently yeah. so. All right, so uh, any any themes, anything? I mean, I guess really, since this is a Supergirl podcast, we should be talking about the end state of our characters and what that sets them up for next. I saw as Kara and Alex were trying to escape their problems, and they were forced to face them, so now they're they might be ready to start moving past it and moving on with their life. And I yeah. suppose it sets them up for the second half of the season where she can just help figure out whatever is going on with Monel's conflict that he hasn't told them about yet. Right. I mean, the um for for us recording tonight, Sunday, the mid-season f- finale is tomorrow, right? So, I don't know if we're going to have something happening with Rain there or if we'll have more stuff explaining what's been going on with Monel. Or what? Um, I, I imagine they'll have to do something with that. But having a more centered Kara and Alex uh, dealing with that can only be a good thing. I think yeah. the episode is actually called Rain. Ah, well then. <laughs> I think this puts everyone in a much better spot for moving forward. I expect that'll help. All right. So we dealt with alternate Win and alternate uh, James in this episode, so nothing really changed for them back on Earth. Um, I mean, back on Earth 38. <laughs> oh, that does bring up one point I was I was wondering about. Um, is all the nomenclature with Earth 1 being Earth 1, is that all just because everybody who figured out the alternate Earths was on Earth 1 at the, at the time? Uh, because I would think that each Earth would consider itself Earth 1. You know, nobody says, okay, which Earth are we? Let's be Earth 17. <laughs> so I'm confused about that too, because I think the first time we meet alternate wells, they argue about it briefly. 
I think I might be misremembering that. But then afterwards, like in this, when they introduce themselves, you know, they ask, where are you from? And they say, we're from Earth One. And uh, the Ray says, well, I'm from Earth One. It's like, well, why would he know that? What, you know, so. (laughs) Yeah. How would he know which Earth One they are talking about? Also, how, if he's from Earth One, why was he on Earth X? Apparently he came from the same through the same little mechanism, right? Because he said, well, if you're from Earth-1, then you must know how we got here, and he apparently does, so I don't know. I assume the rebels brought him forward maybe accidentally. Hmm. I... Hopefully that'll be something they'll explore in the animated show. We'll figure out his history. But uh, but yeah, the, the Earth numbering system is not going to make much sense. Like the fact that the people on Earth-X know they're called Earth-X and everybody else has agreed to call them Earth-X and it's the 53rd <laughs> Earth. It's a, it's a very weird, like, I, I'm assuming maybe the Council of Wells from The Flash has just, uh, you know, expanded. Which, if for those of you who don't, don't watch uh, The Flash, there's a point where a whole bunch of Harrison Wells talk to each other and it's really, I don't know. It's a little interesting. It's something. <laughs> this is just the reality of, of the insanity of comic book universes. And, and really, I would suggest avoiding Wikipedia and not digging into it deeply because there's no coming back from that hole you dig yourself into. Oh, yeah. As a general rule, I find crossovers in comics a little weird and annoying and cross-marketing mush. And this kind of has that problem. But I think this was done at least as well as it could be. So I'm happy I watched it. Yeah, I am too. Um, I also I appreciate that they called it Crisis, which is like a so Crisis on Earth X is a throwback to there are multiple DC crossovers and comics called Crisis mm-hmm. whatever. I think I think the first major one was Crisis on Infinite Earths. That's the one I'm most familiar with, and I've read multiple. That's times. the first one I remember. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and that one is a messy sort of really huge crossover event that kicked off all of the Marvel and DC big crossover events, and uh, and it. It's one where it actually decreased, like it collapsed their multiverse into one universe at the time because DC had decided things had gotten out of control. Um, and then it's expanded again since. But uh, I- I'm trying to think of other throwbacks they had in this. Uh, the whole storyline with uh, Evil Kara having like sun poisoning is a throwback to All Star Superman, which I highly recommend reading. Um, it's a short, like, tw- I think 12 issue comic book. Um, and it's really not that long and it's really good if you like good Superman stories that are written well and not by people who don't understand how to write Superman. <laughs> um, yeah, any other comments, thoughts, themes, anything you'd like to see? Um, I mean, I suppose you guys, those of you, anybody who's going to be recording for the mid-season finale will get to talk a lot more about how what they want to see in the latter half of the season. So, so uh, yeah, anything else for this episode? I think this is my favorite crossover so far. Um, it, it was just woven together wonderfully well and uh uh great lines great characterization i the only problem i have with is some of the logic that seemed lacking but uh i really enjoyed watching the whole thing um and i will i will probably be watching it to get watching it again just for fun now that i don't have to take notes (laughs) how can you have fun without taking notes (laughs) well (laughs) That's, I guess that's a philosophical question. How do you know that you had fun? <laughs> I, I'm one of those people. The first time I was watching it, I was actually crocheting the entire time. Because I decided that I want to crochet a blanket. And I get distracted from if I'm sitting and watching something for like four hours straight. So like I have to do something with my hands. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm going to get distracted and miss something really important. Cool. Um, Jess, you have any final thoughts? 
Uh, nope, just that I uh, I thought it was like well put together, uh, well acted. Um, the jokes were funny. The emotion emotional arcs were, uh, for the most part, thorough and heartfelt. And uh, and they punched some Nazi- Nazis, so that's always good. Punching, yay! Uh, David, you got anything else? I'm good. Cool. Um, all right. Well, then I guess I'll wrap us up. Uh, so. Thanks so much to the Incomparable Network for letting us do this. Uh, thanks to my fellow panelists, Trish Matson. Thank you. Uh, Jess Viator. Thank you. Uh, Brianna Toiber. Glad to be here. And David Schaub. Thanks. Uh, and thanks for the listeners. And finally, thanks to our editor, Seth Heasley, who does a fantastic job and whose work we have made uh, hard this time around. Uh, <laughs> if you want to, you know, connect with us, there's the Facebook group for any, uh, uh, for any fans and you can get in the Slack if you're a member and hit us up on Twitter or wherever else. And, uh, so long tune in next time. Whew. All right. That was tiring. <laughs>